what you expect. Let's get on a roll. Hey. It's about time for some quality control. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages? You are now tuned into the Quality Control Podcast, where we have quality conversations with quality people that yield quality results. Congratulations to making it season two. We are in season two. All the people who wrote with us through season one, thank you so much. Like, share, subscribe, and support. Season two is underway. And today, with it being August, we kind of want to get some back to school feel going. So I made it my point to get one of these great teachers involved in the quality control podcast because I have a feeling that they go through a lot trying to teach our children what they need to know. This is your host, Super Rio Grande. My other host, Jay Mill, is all for today. But our guest today is none other than Miss Tiffany. She is a school teacher, and I don't say that very lightly, but um, I would like to have her on. We're going to talk about some topics to kind of get a feel of what's going on in school since we're going back to school and to let the community know what they need to hear from teachers. You know, I feel, you know, teacher being an educator, I would call it that is one of those passion, you know, professions, you know, it's almost like nursing. It's almost like, you know, police officer, firefighter, things like that, you know, very, you know, good service to the community, but at the same time, it takes a special person. Not everybody can be a teacher. Not everybody can be a firefighter, nurse, police officer, you know, doctor and things like that. So I, you know, we need to hold our teachers to higher regards than they are in society right now. And we definitely know they underpaid, but that's going to be probably another episode going forward. So without further ado, Miss Tiffany, introduce yourself. Tell us about you. Give us your out the mud story, your history. What are you doing now? And let's get into it. Okay. Well, hello. My name is uh, Tiffany. I am a actually a former teacher now. Um, I did secondary mathematics for 10 years. And in the last year and a half, I've transitioned out of the classroom. I'm now an educational consultant. So new hat, new arena. Um, as a teacher, I served on panels for the Alabama Board of Education, the Mississippi Board of Education, the Mississippi Council of Teachers for Mathematics. I've done a lot of work with the State Department's assessments. Um, and I enjoy the classroom, every minute of it. I enjoy my new role, um, getting to work with schools throughout the state, seeing the shifts and the the, um, the highlights of what's going on in the classroom now, and getting a feel of it from different people of different socioeconomic backgrounds, racial backgrounds, um, just getting this all-encompassing look at what education looks like now, specifically post-COVID. I had the pleasure of being a COVID teacher. And I say pleasure because it definitely gives a perspective that's different than people who left the classroom before COVID occurred. And yeah, um, I tutor on the side. I have just, I love education. I'm from a family of educators. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. Oh, okay. You say you from a family of educators. I myself had your mom as an algebra teacher. Rest in peace, Miss Fantasy. So Talk about that. How did she influence you going into the field? And, you know, because I honestly, when I think algebra, I thought Miss Fantasy. When I thought, what was that, ACT prep? Mm-hmm. It, it drained that. So tell me, you know, how did she influence you and how does she continue to motivate you in the field of education? Well, my mom was a powerhouse in the state of Mississippi as well. Um, she served as a principal. She served at the central office. 
Um, she said um, the president, she was the president of the Mississippi Council of Teacher Mathematics for years. Um, and she was just an advocate for children. Um, her life's work was ensuring that children received a quality education, starting with her own. And um, my mom became a teacher when I was five and she passed away my fifth year in the classroom. Um, but during those five years, I did have the opportunity not only to work with her as like, that's my mom, but also uh, as a colleague, she was the eighth grade teacher and I was the seventh grade teacher for my first, uh, well, my second year in the classroom. So that I got to work with my mom in all aspects and take in the things that she did to be such a successful and um, effective teacher. And I put a vehement effort into making sure when I go in the classrooms, especially now because I go into so many of them, to give that same tenacity to make sure that teachers realize, like, regardless of what the community, the school itself, the parents, the children, regardless, you play a very essential role in these children's lives and teaching them to prioritize and become productive citizens. My mom was all about that. She coached, I coached as well. And all of those hats where you get to be an influence, a positive influence in children's lives, she made it her a point to, to be there. And I feel I do the same. Stepping out on faith and, you know, righting the wrongs. There are some people that just do not mind saying what needs to be said. Um, that was my mom and that's me now. Um, I, I'm blessed to have a career where that skill is um, pro not productive. That's not the right word, but you get it. It's, it's the core of what we do. And my mother heavily influenced that. The irony is my mom did not want me to be a teacher. I told her I was going into education. She was like, no, ma'am, Pam. You oh, can wow. Blah, 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 blah. So getting her to accept like that I followed in her footsteps, it was, it's funny because, you know, it's always been assumed she was a good teacher. So she wanted you to be one. And that wasn't it. I think she passed before I had some of the opportunities. She got to watch me, you know, facilitate at colleges. She got to watch me in all the different classrooms, but she didn't get to see me in this capacity. So I'm hoping that my now life's work is, is just as much uh, an accreditation and an applause to her work as, uh, as before she passed. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sure she'd be proud of you. Um, so transitioning now from then to now how has schooling changed since we're in school now and what are the challenges that teachers face so you know when we came through you know we class of 05 columbus high mm -hmm. you know it was you couldn't have a cell phone if you did one you had to hide it real good because uh, your mm -hmm. mom was gonna get it and she was gonna probably turn it in you couldn't get it to the end of the year mm -hmm. you know um some other things just you know this transition between classes, just so much has changed. I remember when we talk about cell phones, I had a younger cousin, uh, Trent Brown. And, man, I went to school. My cousin, Sammy Brown, uh, Junior was there. He was um, teaching the band. And he met his brother in the hallway. And he asked his brother, hey, hey, you talked to such and such. And, no, man. and it, uh, Trent whipped out the cell phone and just called him in the middle of everybody. I'm like, I'm thinking, it's almost like he, <laughs> you know. <laughs> We doing this with the cell phones now ooh. it's like it's nothing you know it's, so and, and i get you know communication is big now but <laughs> just talk about from the things you witnessed in school being a student transitioning to as an educator the transition that have been made 
so we can understand the changes that have happened that actually presented, you know, more opportunities when it comes to technology and also more challenges because it's almost like for every opportunity comes a challenge as well. So just speak on that for a minute so we can understand. Okay. So cell phones. Technology <laughs> has shifted from, of course, when we were in school. Because, you know, you had to hide, do the T9 under the desk if you were going to be texting in class. They cost 10 cents a minute, so, I mean, or a text, so your mama was not out here trying to pay no high bill. Exactly. Like, there were certain things that technology was different when we were younger. Fast forwarded to now, there is nothing that these children cannot do, it seems, on technology. And there's an outlet for everything that they can imagine that they want to do. They can find a platform to do that. And so the great debate becomes schools and cell phones. What's the, what's the right way to handle the cell phone? It's really about the accountability of the school. Where you see things waver, be it cell phones, be it, you know, what students should be doing in class, if there is no accountability at the top, that picture, that school looks completely different than schools that operate where there are still schools. The kids can't have the cell phones out. They don't play cell phones. That's a building thing. If the parents believe in what the schools are doing, then they trust the school's judgment when they say things like kids can only have phones during break and they're going to adhere to that rule. There's no flexibility. Find that when you can influence a building's culture as a parent from the community, the children, you can tell who's running the building by how the, the things are going. And it's unfortunate because at the end of the year, another big thing in education now is accountability and testing. How well are the students performing, you know? And if they're not performing well, well, what parameters, what's going on in the building that's keeping it from? Well, if we're having arguments about whether or not they can use a cell phone, if we're having arguments about whether or not they have to do homework, if we're having arguments about whether or not they have to, you know, be in school, those teachers are having a far more difficult time than teachers who have the support of the community and have the support of the administration, have the support of the children, um, because children will buy into what's right, re regardless of what people feel. A child is a child, okay? Uh, a, a child that goes to this school wants and needs the same thing a child that goes to that school. What is the culture around the school doing, though, is influencing these teachers and Teachers are leaving by the drove. Who's teaching the kids when the teachers leave? Well, whoever they can get convinced to come in the classroom. And if your eighth grade math teacher, which you had, you know, you had my mom, she knew math. Well, if you drive out all the teachers that know math, you come with whoever's here to babysit the kids. And it, it is degrading the profession. Like, it's, it's watering down what it means to be an educator. I can be a great person. I can love kids with all my heart. I can go in every day and they can feel pumped up and excited and willing to learn. But if I, as the teacher, am struggling to get my content across because I'm really not a teacher, then it might become flustering that my test scores are not reflecting how good of a person I am being in this classroom. I feel like technology um, has also hindered, you know, a lot of the social aspects with children. They don't really know how to interact with each other. 
Have you watched teenagers interact with other teenagers lately? Absolutely. They, they, and, and, and here's the thing, you know, just to drop that in right when you said it, it's very timely. Uh, <laughs> one reason for this podcast is to have uncomfortable conversations. Children right now can't have conversation. They talk through text. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's how they communicate. They talk through text. They could be standing right next to each other, smell each other's breath, and they gonna text, "Hey, I like you." <laughs> you know, so it, it it is it's it's spiraling out of control because, like Randy Watson said on Coming to America, the children are our future. Unfortunately, you know, and fortunately, they are. Exactly. So exactly. we're in charge of our future by molding them until we need, what we need them to be. But when you talk about communication. It, the essence of communication is not taught because it's a two-way street. They have to interpret. They have to, you know, confirm what they interpret, and they have to communicate something they want to say as well. So, like you just said, if a teacher is not able to communicate to that student based on how that student communicates in order to get those test scores, it could be, you know, frustrating to say, man, what am I doing here? You know, so go go back in. No, you're fine. I just wanted to let you know I feel you. I feel you. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, so another aspect, uh, we can't have this conversation about the classroom now neglecting COVID. Um, people are blaming COVID for reaping harvest that pre-COVID seeds sold. Okay, pre-COVID. I, I've had a, a very, in this uh, career change, I've had a very unique experience to see the byproduct of what happened in the last two years for different demographics of students. Um, in our community, our district, by and large, were districts who were not one-to-one. And for those of you all who don't know what one-to-one is, it means every child has its own device. Before COVID, a lot of our districts were not one-to-one. Okay, so getting kids the technology that they needed to be successful was the first part. Um, once they got the kids the technology, you have some areas that they're so rural. There was a, yeah, now they have the computer, but they don't have the internet capacity to do anything with it. So there was this break in education there. You had teachers who were just learning how to navigate online platforms like Google Classroom, Zoom, Schoology, da 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 because before COVID, these teachers weren't working with these platforms. And so now you're trying to fly the plane while building it, you know? And that's become kind of the, the thought process. Well, in the schools that already had, and there's districts um, that have already had a computer, and it wasn't... Correct. I worked in Lowndes County um, probably seven, seven, eight years ago. They were already transitioning to one-to-one. So when everything went computer, nobody lost their mind because it's been computer. So we're already prepared. Mm-hmm. You have these kids coming in and I've been in schools where fourth graders, they can't read, you know? Um, And I've questioned, okay, you get to the fourth grade, you can't write, you can't read. Yeah, we can look at our second, uh, your second and third grade year and say, okay, COVID, but what happened your kindergarten first grade year that nobody caught, you weren't writing your name, you weren't whatever. Then we talk about the actual two years of COVID. Well, if they were in the house with their family, with their parents, with their loved ones, you can't completely say, well, the teachers and the schools have failed the kids because the teachers in the schools weren't with the kids for the last two years. They were with the parents. Absolutely. So as parents, in hindsight of COVID, we have to reflect, what did I do 
to support my child's learning if the school was not doing enough. Um, we're seeing it in the workforce. COVID happened, yes, and it caught maybe these last two graduating, well, last three graduating classes. It's, it's really impacted their high school career. But if we talk to, you know, people who are in the workforce, they see this transition of, of, of student, of people coming out of education and just going to work in a department store. It's finding itself difficult or lending itself difficult to do to work because there has not been an expectation of discipline set to prepare these young people to go in the world. And I'm not saying that everyone is a part of it, but everybody plays a part. Everybody that touches that child's life plays a part in the person they become out in the world. And it's really hard for teachers to to be the only uh, threshold where that measurement is, is taught with the state accountability, going back to the test, right? Teachers are assessed at how well they did their job with no accountability from the community, the parents, none of that is in the state accountability model. It's Miss Fennessy's name and her test score. And whatever was going on with everybody else, regardless of the support, the state cares about those test scores. The school cares about the test scores. The money comes from the test score. We as the teachers need the support of the parents and the community and the churches, everybody. Everybody need all hands in. If you know how to read, you can help. <laughs> And bridge some of these gaps. You don't have to be an educator to bridge the gaps. But whew, that brings us to a topic of the culture. What do we as the culture accept as the norm? What do we teach kids is appropriate? How are they taking those cultural appropriations into the classroom, into these school buildings? If we are allowing of our children to be immersed in everything just because it's there, good, bad, and in between, we're creating these environments where Absolutely. they're bringing this, uh, this good, bad, and in between attitude. And then we're all in a mess. So um, yeah, a lot has changed. Kids talk to teachers differently because parents talk to teachers differently. Kids do things that uh, we wouldn't deem, um, kids do things we wouldn't deem necessarily appropriate because the the culture is allowing of and when I say culture I mean building because this this happens in every school but every school has its own dynamic you knew whose classroom not to play in Absolutely. right there are you schools the exactly there are schools that there is not anybody to play like that with a lot of times those schools are demonized for having uh, structure having order because the kids can't do what they want to or the parents can't come in and act how they want to or the community can't do what it wants to in the school. They hold that building sacred. They hold those scores sacred. They hold those teachers' careers sacred. They work together. It's not a the teachers versus the parents, the community versus the school system. It's a collaborative effort because these are all our children. Another large shift in teaching is just making sure, you know, um, Teachers are prepared. A lot of teachers are leaving college, and I did, and this is maybe a talk for educators, but what are we teaching the teachers coming out of college about what the classroom is really like? All of us are tell you none of our college degrees handled us or prepared us for exactly what we walked into, 
But unfortunately, there are, there are teachers who never got the opportunity to even get a splash of what the classroom was like before they got into education because they didn't come in a traditional way. So supporting teachers, just making sure that they have what they need to get your students what they need. And then the last thing, well, not last thing, but the last thing in this, the last big challenge is uh, student apathy. We as teachers try to be cheerleaders in the classroom. I had expectations that I set for my students um, on how my classroom ran. And they came in knowing that they were coming in into an environment to learn. Now, I know most of them did not necessarily care for math, but they cared for me because I made my classroom an environment they enjoyed to be in. They were safe there. They were listened to there. They were respected there. And my expectation for them to each other while in my classroom was to do the same. We have to make sure we're exposing children to this. Uh, excuse me. We have to make sure that we're, even if the kids do not care about the subject matter. When a teacher is in an environment where the kids know that they are cared about, they'll learn it apathetic or not. Being a good teacher is not about being um, the children's best friend. It's not about being, um, it's not about being a playmate. It's about being a confidant. It's about being an advocate. That helps with apathy. Parents have to care. I work as a math teacher and I hear parents tell me all the time, well, I can't do math, so it's all right. She, you know, that's probably why she can't do it. They don't say the same thing about reading. You're not going to just proclaim, oh, I can't read and, and be okay if the teacher's like, you know what, it's all right. Don't, mm -mm, you ain't got to learn to read. Numbers control everything. And that, that excuse gives a segue for kids to be yet ill-informed about something they're impacted by it all day long. Social media. It's algorithms. That's math. That's math. Math controls everything. Financial literacy. Financial, Financial literacy. literacy. It starts with math. So exactly. how can we how can we be okay with them not being able to do math because you haven't been able to do math, but at the same time, we're trying to put them into the world to impact the world, make them better. And financial literacy is like, I'm not going to say it's bigger than reading because you got to read and understand to be literate anything, but mm -hmm. financial literacy, a lot of that is what we're teetering on and a lot of it um actually can be the root issue to some of these issues that we, we just speaking on exactly because of everything that it fosters when you have you know financial illiteracy the side effects of those things are kids come to school ill prepared mm -hmm. and we can branch over to the financial side from the teachers i'm gonna be 100 honest with you you talking about caring about this uh, students not wanting to be there, you know not needing to be their friend but be a confidant you know being there for the kids Let's be honest, from a financial standpoint, what we ask these teachers to do and how we compensate them don't match. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Be 100% honest, no. I think I heard a, I heard a story about a week or two ago about a bunch of Texas teachers, I ain't going back, they haven't re-signed their contracts. Mm -hmm. And I told, mm -hmm. I told my barber, I said, look, man, how can you make them go back for that money with no disrespect, but let's just, we talking numbers. They can do an OnlyFans and triple that money they make. Let's be exactly. real. Let's just be exactly. straight up. So exactly. you can't create this expectation without the proper compensation, you know, and that, exactly. that's just how it goes. Exactly. You know, so exactly. it, it's very, I think it's very unfortunate that the teachers are having to come into these situations, you know, with little support from the community, uh, which means that you don't know what condition mentally, 
physically, you know, uh, if the student is ready to learn when they come there. And then that student, how they perform essentially controls how successful you are. You're almost mm -hmm. not in control of your destiny. Who wants to come to work knowing that they're not in control of their success? Who wants to do anything knowing that they're not in control of their own success? And, and, you know, and that's what the community has to step back and look at these teachers. And see, it ain't all just the teachers, all these teachers. Now, you got some people that just, you know, ain't it, you know, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. But, that, yeah, but that's do. in any profession. You got some people that just ain't it. But at the same time, you have to give an envir environment that fosters success. Or if you see some areas of improvement, you have to be willing to support those. So, I mean, very heartfelt coming for you he hearing that because I, I understand that totally because that's what that's what people are dealing with. So Yeah, I think that with what's going on in the classroom and the shifts that we need to see happen, there's a there's a larger conversation that needs to be had amongst educators about what does education in America look like? What does education even in the state of Mississippi look like? Um, Mississippi is, and I, I, it's still using high stakes testing for graduation. And I say still because in this region, we're the only ones. Um, we take a state accountability test every year from third grade or tests from third grade until um, high school. And um, the tests matter in high school, and they didn't, as far as the scores, prevent or uh, promote people from moving to the next grade level, right? However, these ones in high schools keep people from graduating. That's not a thing in Alabama. Um, the focus is supposed to be getting kids college and career ready. Uh, what, what tests do the careers look at? Colleges look at ACTs and SATs, so that test should be important. Um, the workforce looks at work keys. That should be important. The military looks at ASVAB. That should be important. Those three tests should dictate how successful a school, school district is in preparing children to go out into the workforce, right, after graduation. Correct. However, the focus in Mississippi is not on these three tests. It's on a test that only tests out one, only tests U.S. history, English too, and um, biology. When a child walks across a Mississippi stage and graduates, nobody in the workforce, nobody in the military, nobody in college is gonna ask about these four test scores. But this is what's keeping children from graduating. The conversation in secondary education needs to become, what is this really about? What are we, what are we, what are we hoping to achieve to make Mississippi students specifically, and I'm only saying Mississippi because we're we're the only one that has these four particular tests. Why is that the measure of how well students are doing in Mississippi? Why is it not just the ASVAB, just the ACT, just the SAT, just the work keys, just the tests that everybody else cares about when these kids graduate? Um, so you have this pressure teachers are feeling like, oh, got to get these kids to graduate. That's almost at this point crippling because teachers are leaving <laughs> they they don't see how the their their role is transitioning these kids into the real world and a lot of teachers don't want to be a part of a system that teachers they really care they don't want to be a part of a system that is failing children so they leave 
and they leave the state of Mississippi and they go to other states and still do wonderful things and use their gifts there and their gifts are needed at home, but they're not being compensated. They are getting a raise and that's great, but they're getting a raise to make them almost comparable to what teachers were making in Alabama before COVID. And now Alabama teachers are getting a raise. So we're still here in this this uh not giving Mississippi teachers specifically. I, I don't and I I I love the state of Mississippi. I want the state of Mississippi to be the wonderful place that I'm learning that it is. But there's some things educationally that have to change and having the community and other people outside of education not understanding we're dealing with a lot of red tape and jargon that has nothing to do with not necessarily something that the community can help us with um, as far as you can't make teachers know this content. You can't make certain things happen in the classroom. It takes a collective effort. Getting us to corral and make collective efforts to do things that are in the best interest of our children is what we as a community, I feel like, need to heart more on and just and just try try to, to advocate for what is really important. Whether your child got to use his cell phone during Algebra 3 to be on Snapchat and now he got to take... That's not where your energy should lie. Does my child... Is my child receiving the education that's going to make them successful? That's the conversation that needs to be had at the school. Correct. That's what you should come and challenge. But, you know, you can't, you can't tell people that what they prioritize is not important. And it's sad because as important as your child having luxuries, having nice things, as important as that is, if you're too busy trying to give them a better life by giving them more things, where are you trying to make them a better person? Right, because improvement and success should be measured on understanding, not based on trinkets, you know, not based on materials, you know, because... Those exactly. things are manufactured every day and they lose value by the second. But your your child's understanding of the things around them, you know, mathematics, you know, mm-hmm. reading to learn and learning to read, you know, just the world around them, how it operates. Because you can't mm-hmm. leave secondary education and go into this world the way it is right now, half-stepping, because me and you graduated in 05. And then literally that's, what, 17 years ago to the date. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. these years will jump on you quick and you'll realize if you throw them away, you're not going to get them back and you're going to end up in a position to where it's going to take you the rest of your life to try to get out of water and, and breathe, you know. So th- and that's the the um overarching principle behind this. That's that's why we wanted to, to, to speak on education, because it's very important. It's very important. So. Now, bridging on to the next subject, this is a somewhat very sensitive subject, but it's something that needs to be covered because I've always wondered what goes through the mind of educators when it deals uh, when they deal with mass shootings. You know, so we know about the, the mass shooting that took place in you know Texas, and um, there's some, still some things going on with that as far as them investigating the authorities' response and things like that. So, how as an educator do you deal with that when you see a you know school shooting? You know. And then from there, how do you prepare? How does the schools prepare? You know, and if this is something you can't talk about, that's fine. Because I don't know how covert the preparation (laughs) is. But at the same time, you know, just kind of understanding, you know, because if you have loved ones in the education, you know, field at all, educators, and they get caught in that situation, you know, you you don't know really what to expect, you know. So kind of touch on that and give us an idea. Educators worry about school shootings in a way that 
It's almost like uh, we don't really discuss it. And then when it happens, it becomes this uproar. It's just like anything else. If it happens, it becomes an uproar for a second, and then it kind of dies down. Right. Um, Safety-wise, um, there are some buildings that, or, yeah, that you feel more unsafe in, and the practices that are used are a little dated um, in some of the buildings, the lockdown drills. Um there are certain buildings, there's two different types types of lockdown drills, I say. There's one where the students basically hide in the classroom. You turn off the lights, you make sure the doors are locked, whatever, you lock the doors, and then everybody scatters and hides, right? Everybody knows not everybody just disappeared in the school, right? <laughs> no, there's not just this button that makes everybody disappear. And in these types of models, the criticism has been, well, number one, if there's a school shooter, nine times out of ten is somebody that knows the school. They know where the kids are hiding in the room. And they've already thought about how gaining access to those kids and you're sitting ducks. You know, if they get in the room, it's over. There are other schools who have taken an approach during their lockdown drills that they grab a book. All of the kids have to have something in hand when they go. And it's a practice I used in my classroom, even though it wasn't standard practice in the building it was in standard practice in one of the buildings that I was working in. They went to a different district. They did it differently. But you grab a book or some kind of item before you go to your respective hiding spaces. Because we can't just all run out in the hallway. Then we made everybody a sitting duck. When the shooter enters the classroom, though, the instruction is whatever that child picked up, you now throw at the shooter. And it dis it disenfranchises and it also promotes shooters not to come in school if you know that if i go into school everybody's gonna start throwing books at me everybody's gonna start throwing computers at me um you're less inclined to decide okay well i'm gonna try and shoot up this school because you're not likely to hit anybody you know what i mean that's the the, the police's explanation as to why this is a better practice and then we watched a video um, when the district I was in adopted it. The percentages were at 90% of the students died when everybody was just sitting as sitting ducks. They had bean bags and then they shot the bean bags with a paintball gun to see which kids and teachers would have been affected just by being sitting ducks in the classroom. They had the kids some similar experience and then they were throwing the things at the shooter. I think three of the 25 teachers that were in the room got a paintball on them if, if that and um it just shows that creating an environment, I felt safer in those buildings because I actually felt like you created you created your own chaos, you know, versus the right. chaos coming into you. You created the chaos and actually threw off the guys playing. So that makes a whole bunch of sense. I never thought about it like that. Yes. And I, and I don't think, you know, when we were developing, when school shooting was gaining traction, you didn't think about this enemy inside. You know what I mean? Because essentially a school shooter is just that. They're the enemy inside. And they already know how this works. They know where everybody is has to do and then these schools where they're encouraged look grab a book grab a cell phone grab whatever it's worth it to throw it at them to save your life i think those types of practices will give teachers once uh systems like that or practices like that drills like that are more so adopted as the standard teachers will feel a little more safe 
Because that's essentially, you only have control of your classroom. And that's one way that your classroom can have some sort of safety mechanism. A thing, the thing, though, I think that teachers are plagued most by when it comes to school shooting is goes back to the culture of the building. How is bullying? How is social media? How is building a healthy students' relationship? How is all of that manifesting itself in inside of these buildings? Because, you know, people say things like, kids now, they soft, they softer than we used to. I don't think that's that. I think we didn't have a worldwide web that if we messed up, if we got into a fight, if we got in trouble, if we did something embarrassing, we didn't have somebody with a camera there to record our every action and then share it. That plays with the psyche of these children's minds. So yes, they see they're more sensitive, but they're more sensitive because they're more anxious. They never stop recording and pandering each other going viral for whatever to some of these kids is more important than anything fostering that bullying overlooking cries from students suicide or threats of suicide in school is skyrocketing that's the next wave of problems to face in education and after coming out of covid after kids being in shelter and away from each other and away from influences of other students or whatever, just the outside world and having to reacclimate to being around each other and the opinions of each other. You know, kids love watching things where people are talking bad to each other or disrespecting each other. They grow up in houses where that's how they talk to each other. And then you come out in the world and everybody's being disrespectful and unruly. Some of these kids' fuses, they've been sitting in the house for a couple of years with people with lots of guns and like shooting. That sort of thought process is scary. That's the scary part for teaching. How do you get kids to respect each other enough, respect life enough, not to hurt themselves and not to hurt one another? And it starts at home. It starts at home. It does. It does. And, and I'll say this too, you know, sometimes the teacher has to undo everything that has happened un at mm -hmm. home within an hour block period or two hour block period and they go home to this and then you have to do it so it's almost like you're trying to reset that child and they get reset right when they go back home and then they got an extra two days with them because they out of school saturday mm -hmm. and sunday so they come back you know so we had an unfortunate situation here where the the girl managed to walk out of school pretty much walk a green mile until um onto a um interstate on uh, 55 and jump off a bridge and kill herself you know mm. and just just because of you know some home issues and some things that were going on with school very sad situation and uh, it's just heartbreaking to know what these kids have going on between their ears because you know you have mm -hmm. to understand they're still children you know their world is the only thing that they see and it's very limited based on them not being able to you know venture out and know that it's just social media. We know it's just social media because we live in a world without social media. Mm -hmm. But you can't take that for granted when the child has grown up in social media and that's all they know. They assume that it's reality. It's almost like the Matrix. They assume exactly. that perception is their reality and they take everything literal. So it's, it's very sad. But uh, very awesome and very informative um, look into you know preparation and just how the school shootings affect uh, you know educators at school. So Oh. Get it off your mind before you become a wreck.
It's time to get it off your chest. Now it's my favorite time of the episode where you get to get anything off of your chest, whatever you've been holding on to, whatever been making you warm, even though it's 100 degrees outside right now. What you want to tell us, what you want to get off your chest for the people from an educator standpoint, from a female standpoint, from a whatever standpoint you want to come from. Give it to us and give it to us heaven. Don't hold back. All right. So my my get it off your chest is being an ally. Um, I know I did a lot of talking about what parents in the community um, could be doing for these students um, and or what we are not. So let's talk about what we can do. Okay. So the first thing, we got to keep kids at the center of everything we do. This is education. <laughs> It's got to be about children. It can't be about dollars. It can't be about popularity. It has to be focused on making these children better people going out into the world. We as parents, number one, should strive to spend quality time with our children. I think a lot of times we think because our kids are around, that's a time of quality. If you haven't spoken with your children, if you don't know who the influencers are that they follow, if you don't know the style of music they like to listen to. If you don't know, um, you know, their friend circle. With technology being what it is, we have to be active monitors on what is going on with our children. They're intaking all of it. And if we're distracted, they're distracted. Going out to eat with <laughs> is different now. Um, I remember... When you could just go out to eat, have a nice meal, and go out. Everybody's got to put the camera all over the food and record everything and da-da-da-da-da to make it look good for social media. But then y'all sat there the rest of the dinner and didn't talk to each other. You just played on the phone. That's not quality time. There's not a memory being built there. Yes, we can see what happened, but what did you learn about your children after doing that? When you took them on this vacation, did you, when you did this TikTok, when you did whatever, did you do it with your child being the focus? Was 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 that the focus? Was the popularity the focus? We don't need to just look like good parents. We need to be good parents. Okay? That's it. Using your child wisely. Second thing I really think we don't do enough of with our children we have to teach our children time management. There you go. And I Love think it. a large part of why we don't stress time management to our children, we need to work on it as people, as a man, as a woman. How do what does my day look like? What are, how, what am I expected to do? What are my expectations of myself to do to make myself productive and how am I going to balance my time with all that? If you are not mindful of how you spend your time, you raising kids that ain't mindful of how they spend theirs. And that's just the bottom line. So doing things to make ourselves more conscientious of where we are putting our time, energy, and effort is the second thing. Next thing, number three, making sure we show respect. We allow children to disrespect one another. We allow children to disrespect themselves. We allow children to do some things. And people think it's funny. Like, to me, it is not cute it's not funny it's not coy for people to be disrespectful and maybe that's maybe that's just the way i was raised but there's nothing cute coy or funny about being disrespectful but i watch some children who 
when I reflect on, you know, the backgrounds, the communities, the, the environment they come from, everybody's disrespectful. And so you think it transcends itself into the world and it, and it doesn't. You can be strong. You can be um, effective. You can be respected without all the disrespect. But, you know, we... We're, we're fostering it. We should be speaking positivity to our children. I hear kids tell me all the time, man, I'm stupid. Man, I'm this, I'm that. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, <laughs> who taught you to say these things about yourself? And they'll say, I, you know, they all these songs talking about the teachers were talking about me, never going to succeed, being able to read. I ain't never experienced that in the classroom. I've never, have you? I mean, is that, is that? Am I missing something? Were there teachers that were just disrespectful? Like <laughs> me neither. No. In the rap <laughs> no, no. I mean, we we heard in in the rap songs. I think um, Biggie said something like that back mm -hmm. in the nineties. I think Pastor Troy said something like we we heard it in the music, but us coming from the same high school, the teachers we had that mm -hmm. were also in the community, they never said anything like that to us. You know, I, I've never heard them regard or say anything mm. like that to anybody else in my experience. And if they said it, I just was not paying attention because I was busy trying to be the best I could be. But, um, no, um, but things have changed right now. Things have changed, so. Yeah, and it's not to say, and it's not to say that there are not teachers. Because the way, and like I said, this transition with my career, I'm seeing things that's, you know, teachers are different now. But the environment is different now. And so what I would um what I would hope is that as much praise and respect as you give your children in their sports and their start giving it to them in their accolades when they're um performing well in school, when they're being um respectful to one another, when they're being involved in something good, like we need to hype that much just as quick as some people are to share when they are doing things negative. I'm gonna say this real quick. As much as as much as you may feel as a parent, and that's not to say no teacher is doing this. I'm by not in large not saying there's no teacher doing this, but teachers are not being vigilantes to pick on your children. Teachers have a lot to do during the course of the day sitting down and berating and you know what today I just want to make sure little Johnny's life is awful teachers are not out here making it their point to make a child feel awful with all of the things that are on their plate but parents I, I've met parents well these teachers are always picking on my kid they're picking on my kid they're picking on my kid Go to the classroom. Be involved. Be See for yourself, what is this teacher doing to my child? If there is a question of how are things being handled at school, go to the schools. Attend the PTA meetings. Call for me. Teachers have to attend parent conferences if a parent arranges them. Arrange a conference. Be involved in what they have, the, the after-school programs, whatever. If there's an avenue for you to walk into that building and see for yourself what is going on, you don't have to look at social media to know what's going on in your child's school. Go to the school. Be there. And you can witness it for yourself. The last thing is making sure that we are prepared as parents to to know the to know where our child is going to be held accountable for. And I say that thinking about um, the beginning of the year. There's a lot of things that get sent home at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year. Um, to parents to inform them on what is happening with the students. How are the student body going to be governed? And parents 
will complain about or community i can't even say the parents on this this is the community will complain about policies in the school but every single year since single year there's been an amendment form that comes at the end of the year that if you have a a, a qualm with the policy in the handbook you can write it and it has to go before the board to change you have they can make amendments if parents bring to light we don't like this rule it's how schools get out of uniforms they used to be in uniform now it's a form they send it and if you have a problem tell them what the problem is what it is and they can go through the process it doesn't happen people just sign send it back they don't want to say anything the next year rolls around and something at the beginning of the year they're like hey here's the new handbook uh, make sure you sign this as a part of registration saying that you know and understand what's going on in here Parents signed it. They hadn't looked at the handbook. And then when something happens, it's like, well, why are you doing this to my child? They have it where you have consented for this to be okay practice twice. They had it at the beginning of the year and the end of the year. And if you did nothing in between time because you weren't actively knowing what is the expectations for your children, then there's little that can be said because you had the opportunity to say something. If you feel that schools are doing something in, un, unjustly to your child, then say something. Be a steady advocate for Correct. it. But if you're allowing things to happen and then being reactive once it, once it does fall down, the school systems have already gotten your consent to instruct and discipline and whatever your child from you by you signing the parent contracts at the beginning of the year. Show yourself approved. Make sure that you know what your children are being asked to do. Make sure you, parents don't even, parents should ask their children each day what did they learn. If my child came home every day and said he didn't learn anything, did you learn something today? No. Did you learn something today? No. Did you? That would be my cue. Let me go to school and see why is my child never learning anything. Because he comes home telling me, right, it's not acceptable. You didn't learn anything. We have to be present. And being present doesn't just mean going into the schools when um, things are bad. I love the parents that, hey, you don't even have to, at this point, don't have to go into the building. Shoot a message on Schoology. Shoot a message on Remind. What's going on with my child? Like, are they okay? Do they need anything? Whatever. That's a text message. Your child is worth sending a text message. Your child is worth a school visit. Your child is worth reading a sheet of paper. Your child is worth getting the help that your child needs to be successful. All of that goes into being a parent. And it's not to say that you are a bad parent if you do not do these things, but you can become a better parent by implementing some of these things. And that's the goal. The goal is every day to be a little better than yesterday. So we as parents, we, we, we have to do some parenting. And parenting is not done from across the room on the cell phone hollering down the hallway. It's being in these kids' faces. It's being in these kids' spaces. You have to know your child. And, yeah, that that's that's what I wanted to get off my chest. I like it. You look like you're breathing a little better. I, I, I can't even do it. <laughs> I like it. And I appreciate I, it. No problem. I'm going to say in closing, being a parent, I got one that started first grade this year. I also have a three-year-old. And, you know, I know daycare is a little different from school. But children's education is not autopilot. 
you cannot put the sole responsibility of your child's educational well-being in the hands of a teacher that has to deal with sometimes 11, 12, 13. And she's sometimes even outnumbered by state requirements by other students. Mm -hmm. You cannot put that responsibility solely on that teacher. You are to reinforce and reiterate everything that that child has learned in school. So it's not an autopilot. You know, you have to show full support. I like what you said about being present, going to the school, meet the administration, become a regular. When they see you coming, it's not bad. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, if you're worried about your child getting treated unfairly, they know Mr. Harris is going to be up there. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Not from a malicious standpoint, not from a, you know, I'm finna go tell them all standpoint, but they know I'm present. They know that, okay, exactly. if there's something wrong, Mr. Harris is going to see it. So we need to go and fix it. Or, I know that if I have any issue out of his son, he's going to be right there to fix it. He's going to see it, and there's no real, no real issue behind it. We're going to handle it. So parents out there, if you got kids, school's now autopilot. Because what you have to realize is the way the world is going, you can't send them into this world I have caught. The world eat them like a snack. Mm -hmm. I promise you. It's so scary out here. You got, you know, you mentioned the teachers uh, making more money. Um, but it's counteracted by inflation. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, so where is it? And let, let's talk about these teachers now. Uh, I know in Mississippi they get paid once a month, and I want to say Christmas. They don't get paid until what January, <laughs> at the end of January, something like that. Yeah. So whatever the last, yeah, the last day in December to the last day in January, six weeks, no check, no nothing. So, so, so think about this now. Put yourself in the educator's uh, shoes. You accumulate a little student loan debt. If you hadn't checked that episode out, please go check that out. Yeah, Very yeah. good information. You accumulated some um, student loan debt. You in school. You got um, 17 kids to one teacher, which I don't think that's a good ratio. I don't think that's the standard. And I could mm -hmm. be wrong. But 17 kids, 15 of them, you know, are really not trying. You got three that are really trying, and you got a couple on the on the, on the the bubble, however you want to uh, divvy mm -hmm. it out. Not to mention that you got bills due because you don't get no check to the end of the month. And then you got these state tests coming up and you got to deal with bomb threats and stuff like that. All for about $45,000, $46,000 a year. Let, 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 if that. So If that. With <laughs> the, the four-year The least you can do is support these teachers. Be present. Go to the school. Sit in the class while they teaching. If you if a teacher call you and say, "Man, your student got his head down and, and or a clown or something," you need to make it your business and go and sit in that class and just be quiet. Uh, old school, you know how they used to do it, Tiffany. You, uh, your mom and daddy mm -hmm. come sit at the door. Won't, you won't even know okay. they were there. And then you up there clowning, mm -hmm. standing in the desk. Oh yeah. And then when every, when your your mom and daddy walked in, everybody said, "Ooh," because they knew what time Ooh. it was. So. <laughs> we got to get back to the basics. And like I said, you know, in ending, please, please be involved in your child's education because they cannot be released into this world half cop because this world will eat them as a snack. This is Super Real Grande. Thank you for our guest, Tiffany. Much luck to you and to your future endeavors. Thank you for the valuable information, quality conversations. This is a wrap for our first episode. Inspect what you expect. Let's get on a roll. It's about time for some quality control.